Hopefully the kids are all settled now and you're back with us. All right, so we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, I guess this is something that we've been wanting to discuss for a long time now. It's kind of way overdue, this subject. Uh, but the tragic events that we've all been witnessing, including here in Australia, over this past week have kind of placed it front and centre for us all. George Floyd, a black man, died brutally at the hands of a a uh, white policeman in Minneapolis in the state of Minnesota. And uh, <clears throat> not only did he die unjustly and wrongly, um, but the justice that is due seems inadequate and uh, has lacked a rapid response. It's lacked a, uh, a response of indignation, of demand for justice. And it's quite striking that, uh, I suppose, to most people, including myself, that if it had been a black officer doing this to a white man, I think the indignation and the the rush to, to arrest would have been a lot faster. But obviously this is something legal that is being sorted out. But um, when we watch all this and we see the, the ongoing protests and our riots, it becomes quite a conversation starter. And I kind of feel like we as the church, as the church, probably should have been leading the way in addressing these kind of issues way before the world's heartache put it right in front of our, our faces. Um, and I guess I'm kind of ashamed to say that many of our generation or my generation of church leaders, especially Brahma and I included, we are first and foremost in this, have been too slow in the uptake of addressing these types of crucial societal questions when it comes to addressing it publicly and in a, in a public forum and really leading the church in, in how to lead the way in this kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> you know, we as a, a nation, we all know in Australia here we live in such a multicultural country and in fact, our church, Melbourne Life, is a really multicultural church and we just love it. It's amazing. But I'm sure that many of you, even from Melbourne Life, have possibly felt the subtleties of racism here in Australia. Um, even a couple of my own children have expressed to me how they've experienced it and, um, and yet they came from this white woman, so it's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, I'm not going to pretend to understand it all. I haven't walked in others' shoes. I'm the least qualified here to talk about it, and I would not uh, be so presumptuous to try and be uh, assume that I have a lot to say. Um, I haven't walked in my own husband's, who's got a darker skin than me. I haven't walked in his shoes, even though he's the love of my life. And I haven't walked in my children's shoes, even though I gave birth to them. And you know, what really struck me is that when I held those gorgeous little babies in my arms at birth, their skin was already darker than mine at birth. And you've got to understand, I've never known what it is to have children with lighter skins than me. Um, but that still doesn't, and it cannot, be an excuse to hide my own ignorance. And I'm really coming to terms with that and acknowledging the impact on other people's lives because I think we as the, the body of Christ and as Christians need to always be thinking about the other. And quite possibly that hasn't been something that we've all placed ourselves uh, our, our, ourselves into other people's positions in this kind of way. And so now we see many issues rising up around the world, around the nations. And of course there are a lot of arguments and discussions and opinions about those issues, but nevertheless I still believe that the church should be uh, at the, the voice of leadership and should be at the forefront. And I've had my own children say, come on, Mum and Dad, you should be talking about this. I mean, I've had them saying it to us for years. And I guess, um, you know, I haven't really known how to and, and we haven't known how to. Our generation, our generation wasn't raised to talk about these things. We weren't raised to think about these things. We accepted everything. And I commend the younger generation for challenging a lot of things mm. and making us think through the whys behind the what's. And I think that's really crucial and that's really important because I think even as in church culture, we accept so many things. Well, that's just how they did it and that's why they did it. But when you start to grow up and grow more mature, you start to question things. And you know what? That's a healthy situation. And like Brahm and I have always said, we want to be pastors and leaders that you feel you can always ask us anything. And we should be humble enough and we should be secure enough in God and we should be dead enough in our own pride um, to be able to consider those questions and answer them purely from the, the basis of the word of God and, and nothing else. So, um, you know, I can't hide behind my ignorance, like I said before, but I do want to understand and I want to be a part of the answer. And as the church, like I just said, we 
the church should be, not just our church, I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ. If we really are the kingdom of heaven here on earth, we're ambassadors representing another kingdom, a kingdom of peace, you know, the prince of peace, the king of peace, um, (laughs) our brown-skinned Jesus. Um, You know, if we really represent him, uh, then we should be the voice of leadership in truth and not hide behind our ignorance. Uh, our, as church leaders, our role, and this is how Brahm and I would see our role, and we take this very seriously, has always been to fundamentally and systematically feed truth to anyone who has a willing heart to, to learn. Um, obviously with the ultimate goal of seeing transformation to collective mindsets in, in society. So, here we go. This is just the beginning of an ongoing conversation. and. Yeah. So here we go, guys. Let's launch out into the deep and let's talk. And this is a challenge for Brahm and I because it's, it's going to make us very uncomfortable. I'm not just talking about the issue of racism. Clearly, for Brahm, this is not something that makes him uncomfortable. It's something that he needs to be able to express and talk about as well. But just from any issue, we need to be able to translate the power of the truth. You know, Brahm's been preaching on the truth these last few weeks, these last few months. Last year I did an entire series on the anointing. Well, how does the anointing on our lives and how does the truth look like? What does it look like when it's outworked into very real, in-your-face issues that are facing society right now? So, guys, we're going to talk. Yeah. And, um, you know, racism is rampant. Sometimes it's subtle. Uh, sometimes it's not so subtle. I mean, in Indonesia, for instance... Pretty much, I mean, I lived there for several years as a 17-year-old and I've gone back a couple of times every year since for the last 41 years. Um, every tribe, it seems to me, is openly prejudiced and towards one another and uh, racist at different levels, wouldn't you say, Brahm? Yeah, I think, I think uh, yeah, being brought up in Indonesia, we, we have, what, 20-something provinces? Like 29, something like that? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, and every island, every... Every uh, race, well, we are very uh, what they call tribal in, in many ways, and uh, and growing up, you know, Indonesia is very well mixed. You know, in any given uh, community, there will always be the Ambonese, the Balinese, the you know, Batak, Batak the you know, it's always there. And uh, but the government has, has has done you know has tried very hard, and I think they've done reasonably well. That we've got this this uh, uh, term we call bineka tunggal ika in Indonesia, which is which means uh, unity in diversity. You know that's uh, in Indonesia. The motto, yeah, the motto for the country. However, being brought up as an Ambonese, I, I you know there is an awareness definitely uh, as a child uh, in that community of differences between the Javanese and the Ambonese and the, the Chinese and the, mm-hmm. and, uh, the, uh, indigenous. The indigenous. Yeah. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with the awareness, but I think the prejudice is taught, you know, mm-hmm. is, is what you learn to it's be. It's imparted, isn't it? It's imparted. Yeah. And I remember growing up, never have any problem playing with, with anyone from a different tribe, but you know, it's it's funny when you go deeper into the family, you can feel the differences, and then and then you you can feel the uh, the, uh, the the prejudice sometimes, and then on different levels in the, in the country, and sometimes every now and then there will be the the uh, prejudice against the Chinese or, and I mean, but the thing is, it's interesting because uh, the. I don't have prejudice mainly because of how I was trained at home by my by my mom right. you know, yeah. and by the church community. You know, we we are we are very very uh, yeah very aware of what it means to be to be a to be a Christian. And uh, in, in in saying that, anyway, you know, so you know, being brought up in the in that community, I I see you know, I. I I know what prejudice means, but when I see what's on TV, it's like I've never seen anything yeah. like it. So, so, yeah. so racism is rampant. Yeah, it's here in Australia. Yeah, it's everywhere in the world. It's in Indonesia. It's in Asians. It's Asians towards Asians. It's probably in Europe. I don't know, but what we see in America is kind of a specific and very vicious strain of the racism virus, and. Um, 
you know, we're so blessed to have Carvin, who one of our adopted sons. We yeah. love you, Carve. Um, and so incredibly proud to call him um, an amazing leader and pastor in our yes. church. So we've asked you, Carve, to sit here with us today and just to chat and ask what it means, what it has meant to you. What is, what is racism? So I'm going to hand over to you now, Carvin. Yeah, well, I think um, to best explain it, not trying to give a history lesson or anything like that, but what you see in America is um, it's actually in the soil of yeah. what and how America was birthed. Um, so when you see the, the violence and the, you know, just the horrific outburst of, you know, what has come to now, which is police officers, you know, brutally uh, killing black men, uh, which is really hard to say, uh, but that's now, you know, back when, you know, just look over the history of America with the Civil War and the segregation and the lynching um, and all of these things that uh, were, you know, incorporated with uh, slavery um, and where slavery came from, which is, you know, parts of Africa and how they were led, you know, to America to be sold as slaves and people to be sold people, uh, but not considered as people, not considered as humans, not considered as equals. Uh, so the result of that is it playing out even in 2020. Um, I think what's incredible, something, uh, a quote that just really sticks in my mind, which is so true. Um, a quote that even Will Smith said when it came to how, you know, you know, people are saying, oh, it's worse than ever. Well, it's not really worse than ever. It's just that it's filmed. You know, you actually see it yeah, it's crazy. because of the technology that we have. And I think when you think about racism, the way we've seen it and the way you see it displayed in America is Racism is is division. It's um. It is. It, it brings, you know. It, it causes people. It brings supremacy, you know. It brings this air of superiority, uh, and it, it tries to expose others that feel like whoever is supreme, meaning white people, uh, feeling very superior in their dominance as human beings um, will try to expose the inferior and the inferiority of my minorities, which pretty much is black people. Um, and that's that's what it is. It, it brings it's a barrier. It's it segregates. You know, that's why you've seen segregation, because white people don't feel like black people should be in the same space. Mm as them and the way we are addressed oftentimes even now um, with our president uh, yeah. with with leadership in in the states the way we are addressed as people are second-class citizens are not humans it's almost as if yeah if if you say yeah you love African Americans or black people it's always separate to everyone else um, and that's yeah, just, wow. it's, it's pure, it's, it's pure hatred. It comes from hatred. It comes from fear. Um, and, it, and it's a, it's a strategy of the enemy that he's been using for however long. Uh, and it's now just time to wake up out of it and actually do something about it when it comes to the church, because truly the church are is the only culture that can shift it um because history continues to repeat itself it's you know we had segregation and that was abolished you know you had martin luther king who stood up and led you know the civil rights movement um just from uh you know little things here and there that that sparked it uh and now that it's abolished from a standpoint of you can't segregate. You see it playing out with those who carry a badge and a gun 
and those who call themselves law enforcement because there is an authority that it comes from. And when it operates out of that, it it it's now having to deal with it from a judicial or from a justice standpoint. And that is what gives it the freedom for racism to continue to run rampant and even more so to the point where you see a white officer kneeling on the neck of a black man for nine minutes and killing him in broad daylight. Is it the first time? No. But people that carry this heart and this hatred for people that aren't the same color feel like they can do this because it has not been properly addressed from people who wear the same clothes, who you know wear the same badge, and who operate in a level of authority that can say, you know, we need to put a stop to this. So it it, it will, and it does start from the church. I think, you know, to even talk about since we're on that topic of you know police brutality, and since this is what we've been seeing in the news. Um, I've had my own runnings and my own dealings with the police. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's one thing when you can see, uh, you know, a thief or a robber coming at you and you can kind of get yourself ready because you know what's about to happen is dangerous, it's out of control, and it's not going to be good, you know, and you know how to kind of prepare yourself for that moment. But when you're pulled over by flashing blue and red lights and you know it's the police, you should never get a feeling that this could be your last moment, you know. It should never happen from people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, being especially being in the church, when I have to sit there and actually plead the blood of Jesus and actually pray in the spirit, when the person that is approaching my car is someone that's meant to protect and serve me by government and by a law that has been put in place as government, as authority, then we have a problem with what is actually happening in our land. So I've had that feeling it's it's an indescribable feeling. It's it's something that if you've experienced it, like if I'm talking to my brother, if I'm talking to my dad, it it's you don't have to really try to explain it because you both understand what that feels like. But when I'm speaking to someone who's completely unaware, it's hard to explain it because all you feel is just this fear that grips you within and I'm a Christian. I, I believe, like, you know, I need the peace of God in that moment. But you really start praying in the spirit for the peace of God in that moment. Because there is a fear that if I don't respond the right way, if I don't, uh, you know, say the right thing, if I don't bring kind of not be, because naturally we are a people that can be loud and can be exciting and can be, you know, fun and can be soulful and you know these are the very things that every other culture loves about black people about our culture it's how you get the music you get this is how you get the rhythm you get oh yeah you love it but when it comes to this no one wants to be a part of it you know so the issue is i have to wake up every day black I, i can't i can't change that you know and I would never want to change it. But at this point, waking up black is like a burden almost because you don't know how you're going to be approached or how you're going to be handled or how you're going to be looked at, how you're going to be spoken to, you know. And so I've had these moments when, you know, for instance, when I've been I was in the car with my uncle going back from church. My uncle's a pastor and you know, and and abides by the law and we abide by the law. And all we're doing is driving home. And in our drive home, you got to understand it's it's different there than it is here because you have a lot more police on the ground 
you know, stopping people and doing this. We don't really have cameras put up where tickets happen and, you know, you get a, something in the mail and then you got to go pay it. Uh, there are people that pull you over. Um, so on our way home, doing the speed limit from what we thought, we get pulled over. And it's a common thing because we know, okay, we're being pulled over. We're in a suburb that is predominantly um, a white suburb. So therefore they have a white police uh, precinct. And in our suburb, it's known to be racist. So in us getting pulled over, there's a preparation that we have to have when it comes to what they're going to ask for, what they're going to say. And of course, it's license and registration, it's proof of insurance. And, you know, my uncle's telling them, well, I'm a pastor. We just came from church and everything. And then they come to my side of the window at the same time asking for my license. I'm not the one driving. So why do you need, even need my information? And in them asking for my information, um, you know, they run my license and they see that I haven't paid a parking ticket or a speeding ticket or whatever. So they take that and they say, well, we're going to need to take him down to the precinct because he has a, a, a warrant issued because of his license and I'm not driving. So, you know, it's just like, OK, how do we handle this? And. You know, my uncle's telling me, don't get out the car because he doesn't know what they're going to do. And they're telling me to get out the car. So I'm I'm kind of like between two different levels of authority. And I'm just praying at the same time, like, God, just keep us. So I, I get up, you know, he finally says, you know, go on and get out the car and I'm going to follow you. And he tells the police, you know, is it OK for me to follow? Because I need to follow him. They said, fine, if you want to follow. OK. But then as I'm in the back of the car and the police is running red lights, he's following them. And then they're saying to me, oh, why is your uncle so crazy, you know, in his driving right now? He's running red lights. And respectfully, I just said, well, you guys are the one that told him they could follow. He could follow you. And so it's just a lot of, you know, racism is very condescending in its approach. It's at its core. It's it brings an embarrassment it, it it causes you to feel left out and marginalized and and so as we're going you know long story short not to go into every single detail but i get to the police station and it it, it got quite scary because as i'm handcuffed and they put me in hey, hang on hang on hang on just hang on <laughs> you were on the passenger side Yes, I and was you're, you're handcuffed. I'm handcuffed in the back. For no pain. Josh, <laughs> you're never going to America, okay? All right. <laughs> but this, it, yeah. I can't believe so, that. So all you're thinking about is what are they going to do to me? Because when I step into... Is that even legal to do that? It's it, But it comes... A lot of the things aren't <sighs> quote-unquote legal, but it's coming from an enforcement that's deemed as the authority yeah. to produce the laws that yeah. they produce. So this is the fight. This is why you see so many rioting you are people and, and angry people at this point. So I'm handcuffed. And as I get onto the elevator to go into the place where they hold people being handcuffed, there are no cameras. Oh and that's gosh. the first thing I noticed. And they oh, tell me with two white officers there tell me to turn around, face the corner, and don't look anywhere else. How old, how old were you, Colin? 23? Yeah, wow. Jesus, Jesus. Maybe, no, maybe a little bit older. Maybe 25. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to... So the scariest thing for me in that moment was me looking at, at the corner with two white officers behind me and whatever they wanted to do, they could have done it because there's no accountability in the, yeah. in, in the service elevator. All because they looked at my license, which they really had no right to do and saw that I had a warrant due to me not paying a ticket. Uh, and so, you know, of course my uncle got me out that pay, posted my bail or whatever. And we went to, judge and it's just racism everywhere 
and it can run the way it runs because those that carry this hatred in their hearts are in authority and they operate in the offices of authority. This is why the church in our authority has to stand up against it because we have the one who has given authority everywhere on our side, but we actually have to pray that he will intervene in the hearts of the people that are in government authority. So, and that was with my uncle. I mean, I've had moments where I've been on my own. I had a broken tail light that happened that day. And as I'm driving, I get pulled over in an area that I know is known to be racist. So it's just like, okay, how am I going to do this? You know, what's going to happen? And this is probably when I was, yeah, I'm driving. So 19, 20, 21, maybe. And first question, license registration, you know, you know, you have a broken taillight. Yeah. Officer happened today. I'll be getting it fixed. Okay. I'll be right back. Then they come back and another cop car comes up and another guy comes around the other side and okay, we're going to need you to step out of the car. Well, why do you need me to step out of the car? What's, what's the problem? It's a broken taillight. I wasn't speeding. What's the issue? Step out of the car, sir. Okay. All right. I step out of the car, put your hands up, search me, put me in the back of the car, have me in handcuffs, searching the car. The trunk oh is open, goodness. looking at everything. And then another police officer comes up that has a highest, a higher level of authority than he does. He asks for my license. And I could tell as he's reading my license, he looks at the cop. And I, he's mouthing words and he's saying, blah, 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 blah. And he's looking at the license. And I knew at that moment, okay, this one's over because he's noticed my name. He's looked at my name. Your surname. My surname. What the heck? So my surname is what's carrying the weight because of oh the fact gosh. that, you know, it just happens to be that my family is as famous as they are. Yeah. And in so the work they've done. Policeman. Yeah, but he yeah. still recognized the name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the one that pulled me over and put me in the car didn't recognize the name. So he's telling him in in my words as what I'm looking at, it's like, okay, he's gonna have to get me out. This is him actually realizing you've put you've really messed with the wrong kid because of my name. So yeah. how many other people that have not done anything but don't have the name yeah, yeah, yeah. to actually give them the credentials to say, oh, okay, so their reputation speaks for So when he pulls, when he comes and he tries to make light of it, oh man, you, so you have a famous family, a gospel family. I said, yeah, that's, that's yeah, oh, I do. My gosh. I said, so can you please tell me why you pulled me over? And what's, because now I can really, just, yeah, I can really, like, you need to tell now me why you pulled being. me over. Yeah. yeah. Well, the reason we pulled you over because we there there's wow. someone here that you fit the profile what the heck? of uh, a felon that a felony that just happened and we're actually looking for him. Um, but you're you're free to go. Uh, sorry for the inconvenience. It's just like yeah, wow. And you know, even I was talking to my dad today, and he reminded me of the issue when I was about ten, eleven. And realizing in that moment, as he's telling me that I could be one of the children that have experienced their fathers being killed by police, because when I was a kid, he and another gentleman who had just been working on some music, he was dropping him off at home. And my dad had one of the newer vehicles that was looked at as, you know, a, a luxury type vehicle and they saw him in it and they pulled him over and as they pulled him over they got him out of the car got the other guy out of the car told him to step out of the car without even asking for anything and you know my dad was just not having it saying what is this about how are you guys able to do this where is this coming from and in saying that, they put a gun to his head and told him to stop moving. They're searching the car, and this is what it is, and you just better be calm. And another police officer came to the scene because it's always two to three, you know, police units that come out. Another police officer who happened to be black looks at his license and says, oh, 
you need to let him go now. This guy has done nothing. This, we know who this family is. You need to let them go. And as they're letting him go, my dad is saying to the black police officer, what you guys are doing is just completely wrong. How in the world can you just pull someone over, put them on the ground, put a gun to their head, and and not give any reason as to what is That's happening? Right. What what? Who do you guys think you are? And the police officer is just telling him, look, I understand, but just let it go. Just let it go, wow. Mr. Winans. Wow. Let it go. And it's been like that for way too long. To the point that you see an incident like this with the guy on top of George. Yeah. With no emotion. Yeah. Because there's a superiority when it comes Even when to bystanders were racism. Him. Yes. Because it's all about the supremacy that white people have felt in America for far too long. And it's the way they view people of color. It's the way they view black people, especially when it comes to what has happened with black men and this situation. Don't forget, I want you, because you, you mentioned your experience, that your experience in America, how that affect you here in Australia when you and Anna were, were driving yeah, because it's that, ingrained. That is crazy. It's, it's ingrained. I can't believe when I heard that. Because my experience here with racism in Australia is not even... Like, like I've said before, there's been one time that I've actually experienced it here in a physical sense when I was on the train. And no one wanted to sit next to me. And it was, it was just... Because you know the feeling of racism when you felt it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you, you really, yeah, and especially you when you've grown up in it, you kind of know, because it's a spirit. It's clearly a spirit. So you know when the spirit is very present. And as I'm sitting on the train, I'm seeing all these people walk by and, and I'm just like, wow, it's interesting. No one actually wants to sit here. I told Anna and, you know, it's different here and Anna just kind of asked well okay yeah what what were they doing i was like well i, I don't know maybe i'm jumping to conclusions I, I don't want to be that person that just puts racism on everything but needless to say there there was a commercial or advertisement that came on maybe a few months later yeah, right, yeah. about an aboriginal guy sitting in on the train and white australians walking by him and noticing that there's an open seat and him actually even moving more yeah. over so they can give the person and the person would take the seat. And I said, that's it. That's exactly what I've experienced. Wow. So racism is very, very, very real. And it is ingrained <laughs> in the hearts of people that just whether they've been taught it, they, they it's, it's a learned behavior, yeah, it's but it's generational. Behavior. It is learned behavior. Um, but yeah, like Brown was saying, I was in the car because you, you don't get pulled over here a lot. You know by police so as we got pulled over I wasn't anxious but it's just an automatic response that it is certain things that happen with me now when I see police officers your wife Anna was driving right? yeah she was, was driving yeah, yeah. and one of those things that happened is I always look over my shoulder especially if I'm not driving to see if there's another police officer coming because I'm so used to seeing more than just one police officer come to the car. There's always a group. There's always at least three to four people, and they're always on both sides. So I'm always, it's like survival mode for me. When I see police, those that are meant to protect us, I, I go into this survival instinct, and I try to keep everything calm around my surroundings so nothing goes too far left or too far right i try to keep myself calm i try to say things in a very white way if if you want to put it because if i'm myself then that can kind of shake people up that can kind of put people on a on the you know back foot you know if i get too aggressive that people may say oh you need to calm down you know oh, i can't really handle this so as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder and I'm realizing, oh, there's actually no one coming. And the guy that's speaking to Anna, he's he's addressing her perfectly. And 
you know, he's having, you know, he's just giving her some tips or whatever. No ticket has been, no ticket has been issued. He didn't ask for my ID. I'm ready to give it to him. <laughs> Seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm ready for anything. Like, I just saw on Facebook with uh, a family friend that just said him and his son got pulled over, and before he could tell his son anything, he looked at his son, and his son had his hands on the dashboard and in that he was saying how man i was i was happy to see my son doing the right thing that we know what to do when it comes to police approaching us because i hadn't told him yet but at the same time i'm sad that my son has to put his hands on the dashboard and as i'm reading that I just burst into tears because I'm like, man, if I'm in America, I have a son. He's six. He, you know, 10 years from now, he'll be 16. What What is it going to look like for him when he's out and I'm not with him? And he has to, for whatever strange reason, if he's in America and he gets pulled over, how does he handle it? What do I tell him? How do I ensure that the people that are meant to protect you won't kill you in this moment? And you can't. Yeah. So, so can we ask you a few questions? Yeah. Just on that whole thing about fathering. Um, you know, I heard someone uh, online this week from the States, a, a black commentator, um, saying that he has to lie to his little boys, uh, you know, at the moment, so there's just some things that have been happening. He's trying to describe the rights and what's going on. He said, but it's a conversation that every coloured, these were his words, that every coloured parent has to have with their children um, to explain to them. And he said, but I'm putting it off because every time we do it, something of their childhood dies. Yeah. And that, wow. that just, uh, it struck me so much, I quickly grabbed my computer and started writing it down. And um, how... How are you feeling about Beanie, you know? Yeah. Your eldest and your son. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very... I haven't told him anything, mm. you know? Is it a conversation that you will have to have? Oh, it has. It will have to happen. Even eventually. here in Australia? No, I think the blessing in being in Australia at this point, you know, is the fact that I don't actually have to have that conversation with him when it comes to the police brutality that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Um, he recognizes the difference in the color of skin. He, he, he sees it. I mean, but it's just the difference yeah. in color. It's, yeah. it's not a prejudice attached no, to it. An awareness as opposed to prejudice. As yeah, it's, it's two different things. And yeah. because when there's a prejudice, there's a, there's a condescending approach yeah. that you feel, even when it comes from people that, that say they want to have the conversation and they want to talk. But when you feel the condescending action behind it and when you feel like they're belittling you, yeah. because that's what racism does. It belittles you. It, it yeah. makes you feel inferior to the person you're talking well, to. It completely dehumanizes oh, you. Oh, in every way. And <sighs> when, you, when, when that is directed to you, it's it's a feeling that you are like I don't want to put up with this I don't I don't want to do this anymore when you're a kid and you don't really have any type of like you don't have anyone to stand up for you in those moments you don't have anyone to kind of come to your aid and you feel helpless then that's one thing but when you become an adult and you can actually say no I'd rather not have this conversation you choose to do that because you don't want the feeling of being belittled and being you know lower than the person or feeling like you're their subordinate you know it's it's completely wrong and no matter if be oh i have black friends well you just told me you you're racist right now because the moment you have to tell me you have black friends <laughs> is the moment that i can see your racism like why are you telling me you have black? It, but it's sad because you see this happening wow. so much as if black people are second-class citizens to everyone else. Yeah. Mm. And it's just like, you don't have to say that to right. prove that you just be a, 
friends yeah you know but yeah to have that conversation with my son right now i i I don't feel like i have to but even if i felt like i had to i would try to find every way not to because i agree it does take away from someone's childhood experience that you see a child should have like my dad pointed out this morning that he was looking at Ava over FaceTime and he was just like, man, she's always smiling. That's what a child should experience. Yeah. They should always be smiling. Yeah. That is yeah. that is what you want for your children. Yeah. To feel that, you know, life as bad and as crazy as the world is, the world, the home you come from should be. A culture that is representative of the kingdom and when you have that you have peace you have joy you have you have all these things so if you, for that guy to say that I completely understand yeah. where it's coming from mm. so a couple of last questions and you and I and Brahm have already discussed this so I'm not asking anything that he's not already aware of but mm. What is your perspective? In fact, the reason I want to ask you this question is because I loved your answer to me personally. What's your perspective on the officer who committed the crime to George? Yeah, I, I think it, it's, especially when I look at him and just had a chance to look at his face, it's so ingrained. It, it's, it's like he's a victim yeah. to the trauma and to the terror and to the torment that he's probably have had to experience growing up as a child, you know, living under hatred, living under what it looks like to hate other people that aren't the same color. And it's almost as if what he was doing was suppressed in him for so long. Like I just found out today that he had over 12 cases that had gone overlooked that's right. Because and it's just it's amazing how you let someone like this who is facing these type of issues and is just being tormented by a spirit of hate, a spirit of racism, and you don't actually do the right thing by him by putting him in a position where he can't do this to other people. So when you look at him, it's so easy to get angry with him because of what he's done. But when you look at his face, it's just like, man, what he's done is only a product of where he's come from because it always starts in a home. It, you, it's a learned behavior that you get from people that you respect, that you get from people that has an influence in your life. And when you become that, if it's suppressed for so long, it comes out to a point where you can do something in broad daylight that is so horrific so destroying and take somebody's life in that manner and and just have a cold heart about it because racism produces a coldness in you where you actually do not feel that man that man that killed that human being felt absolutely nothing so i love that i love that response though your perspective and your ability and your insight to be able to see that so my next question is not so much about just this incident, but the the entirety of, of what it looks like in the States. Are you angry? I'm, I'm beyond angry. I mean, I, I said to myself, and I told Anna this, you know, a lot of my, which we won't get into today, but a lot of my white friends that I grew up with at a Christian school that I went to, I literally said, okay, I'm giving everyone that I know that is white it, it, that comes from where I come from 24 hours to say something or I'm going to blast every one of them and they're going to see it and I'm going to be as direct as I can because this has gone to the point where the very people that have the privilege, the white privilege, the platform to say something won't say anything because it's either not relatable to them, it's inconvenient, it's not comfortable and it actually doesn't deal with their family or touch their family in any way so they don't get involved and it's just like nah no nah, that that that's that's yeah, yeah. it's a wrap for that it's it's over for that and but it, it's amazing because before the 24 hours came up i had someone 
who I grew up with, um, wasn't in my grade, actually, my brother's grade, but was close enough and know her very well. And man, the, the, the words that she said and the apologies that she gave and the very thing that we're all thinking, yes, I'm a conservative, conservative Christian. I have never spoken up because it's never related to me. And I've, I've, I have felt the, the spirit of God urging me to say something, but I haven't done it because it has been an inconvenience, inconvenience. for me to do. Wow. And it hasn't been comfortable, yeah. but I need to apologize. Oh. I need to apologize to all of my friends who aren't in the position that I'm in and that have to face this every single day don't know if your family's going to live don't know if your loved ones are going to make it home because i don't feel that I, I don't i don't actually know that and understand it but it's it's no excuse for me not to use my voice and i need to say something i need to talk and i'm saying it right now this is where it starts and it is not where it ends but i'm going to be a part of the change because that change needs to happen and and when she said that it was just like I said, I told her, I actually commented and I said, you know what? I just want to say thank you for saying that because I was thinking all of the people that I've went to school with mm. haven't said a word, yeah. haven't spoken, haven't talked, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm usually the guy when I see these things, I deal with a lot of things internally and yeah, the anger's there, and the, the, you know, the righteous anger, I should say, but there's been moments where I have felt hatred for white people it's, it's well that was actually going to be my last question just, have just you ever can, hated yeah. white people can, yeah. I, can I come comment on that that anger thing i mean i watched the, the whole thing right on tv i got angry and i mean downstairs you to the point that i said god is it right for me to get angry and i feel like god is speaking to me because in in racism there is injustice in that and that's where the anger comes from and i said god are we supposed to look for justice god said it's like the Holy Spirit ministered to me. It's like, no, the anger is fine, he said, but it's how you turn your anger into something constructive yeah. rather than destructive. And he pointed me to the scripture. He said, I had my wrath against unrighteousness of man, but I turned it into something redemptive. And I nailed my son to the cross. He said, because it says in Romans 1, because the wrath of God was yeah. expressed to mankind. And then, but he turned that anger into something constructive and redemptive. Yeah. And uh, so I think it's okay to, because it's injustice, it stirs anger in us, but we have to do something constructive in yeah. response to that. Yeah. So yeah, have you ever hated white people? Yeah. You were just answering that, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, there was a moment. How did you deal with that, Carmen? Oh, I, 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 I could not let it fester, because I didn't grow up hating white people. I think my parents, and my family has done an incredible job in living in, you know, the part of the world where it is easy to hate white people. It is easy to justify it because of what's been done. But my family being Christians and choosing the word of God over everything, mm -hmm. I didn't experience that. I didn't, I went to school with white people. I, I you know, I had, I had a lot of friends that I was really comfortable around all, you know, types of colors. Like, even when it comes to the church, the church has to be a group of, it has to be diverse. It has to be mm -hmm. in, in our ethnicity. Yeah. That's that's the real church to me. When I see a church mm -hmm. of just one color, it's, it's actually scary mm -hmm. because I don't know how you're not reaching everyone else yeah. with the same word. And, and right. it shows the love that God has when he created everyone. Yeah, but it was when I was in Africa looking and going through the slave castles in Ghana and, wow. and seeing what, you know, someone who was very passionate giving us a tour about it and what happened. And the truth of that really let me really left me walking away, having to ask myself the question because I could feel this hatred towards white people and it was like okay god 
what's actually happening here because there are too many white people in my lives in my life and I can't stay here. I have to go back to my home. How do I deal with this? So it's, it's confronting. I think that's the first thing. When you feel this hatred, you can't deny it. You have to confront it. You have to repent. And I had to repent even in that moment, even after you showed me what has happened to the people that I come from and how they've been treated as animals, worse than animals. Can you can you just expand on that? Well, feces higher higher than the knee in a very small confining space that they would keep the black men in and not let them out. And whenever they had to use this the was ready to go to slavery, right? This this was this yeah this yeah. was them enslaving yeah. them at the castles before they sent that's, them off. Yeah, that's right. So the feces would go as knee high and they wouldn't do anything they would keep them there when they ate they would eat in their feces when they all of this was in the same area and when you see the room oh they had they would pile them in because they weren't seen as human they would pile them in in a small room where you have a little bit of light that comes in and they're all there together and then the women when you just walk to the other side, the women, it was even worse because what women had to go through, even their cycles and all these things, all in one space. So that it, this is how they treated them. And the way they got them to leave and go without putting up any type of fight is that they would tell the man or the woman, you'll see your siblings because a lot of them had family. You'll see them if you get on the boat and go over to America and they never saw him again. So that was their way of getting them to do the things smoothly. So it was all manipulation. It was all a, a, a mind brainwash type game that they would play with black people. And when I saw this, and the guys explaining even how they got to the slave castles. They didn't drive them. They made them walk from their tribes that were hundreds and hundreds of kilometers away, barefoot. This is how they treated black people. And this was just Ghana. So all of Africa was invaded by Europeans. And all of these things were, were happening real time so as i'm dealing with this and trying to process this there's a hate there's just a natural hate that comes up and i could have held on to that because it's like there's no way until this is done right and we get some type of you know justice even going back to this i'll, I'll never stand for anything less but as i'm feeling that i have to acknowledge if i'm a christian and I'm doing this the way Jesus wants me to do it, then I have to acknowledge that this hate could be so strong. If I do not release this now, it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. But in my acknowledging, I had to repent because I was accepting the hate that only comes from the enemy. And it doesn't come from God because he's love. So I have to I have to battle what the scripture is saying versus what I'm feeling. And what I'm feeling is justifiable with the scripture. I have to hold up higher than That's how awesome, I'm feeling girl. at the moment. So it was a challenge. It was a test for me. And I had to repent and I had to forgive. Yeah. And, but that has to happen. It has to happen on behalf of everyone involved. But it really has to take place on behalf of those that are in law enforcement. Until they say, until people say who carry this authority, yes, I have a hatred for black people. Yes, it's been there. I didn't realize it was there or I did realize it was there. I have to, you have to acknowledge it and you have to repent. And until that happens, history continues That's to right. repeat itself. Good so point. the prayer has to be to the people that are in authority. Look, fess up, own up to this. Yeah. Stand up to it yeah. and humble yourself in the way that I deal with racism 
and I'm a product of this on this side of it. I'm, I, I have enforced it in a way of not using my voice or I have enforced it because I actually have a genuine hate towards people that do not share the same color that I do. But if, unless we do that, then we don't see freedom. Wow. So, yeah. Ooh. Oh. And that's just in society. That's just in society. Calvin, thank you. I know it's pretty... Awesome. Probably makes you feel raw talking about it. We can feel that. It's kind of palpable in here. Yeah. And yeah. Um, <laughs> that's just racism in society. Um, yeah. yeah. Next week we want to continue on. We're going to keep talking about this and, you know, it's been bad and it's been experienced in the world and that was scary and frightening and life-threatening enough for Carvin, but... And you've got to hear what, what it's been like for him in the church <laughs> yeah. with Christians. So we're going to talk about that next week. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's devastating, isn't yeah. it? And here you got a blonde, white, blue-eyed mother. <laughs> <laughs> of all, of all, of all people. <laughs> God, God, God has no racial boundaries <laughs> at all. We love you, it is so the love Amazing. of God. Well... That was amazing, thank you. Um, so I think we should have communion now because, yeah. you know, communion reminds us that we are one body. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. One body, that's, we are, it's the greatest leveller. Yeah. That we are now the body of Christ and um, we're celebrating the one, the yeah. one, Jesus, who, who unites everyone as one. And he, you know, we talk about it in DMS and the cross that from the very beginning that he actually takes two breed, two races of people, the, the Jews and the non-Jews, yeah. and it creates a new race, a yeah. third breed of people called the church, the body of Christ. And uh, we become one new man. And, um, and he takes them, I love this, he takes them out of every tribe and every tongue. And I'm going to read a scripture before we have communion. So why don't you all at home go and grab something, go and grab some biscuit or bread or donut or anything. <clears throat> Grab some water, juice, wine, whatever. Have you got some water there, Carvin? I think yes. this might be yours. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. It's yours. You got a biscuit. Um, you guys all set? And uh, we're going to um, we're going to take communion. I'm going to get Carvin to pray. And instead of play, praying normally in communion every week, we pray for physical healing. But I'm actually going to pray for the marginalised. Yeah. Those who feel marginalised. Yeah. And um, I'm going to ask Abby and uh, Flick if you want to come and join us again. You can take my microphone. I'm sure they'd rather hear you sing than me, Abs, and you as well, um, Flick. And I know we're going to we want to go into a beautiful song, but we don't actually have the words. Something's gone wrong with the words today, I think. Oh, do we? Oh, okay. Well, if we don't, let's just do the chorus and the and the ending. Um, yeah. But let's, what we're going to do is we're going to have um, communion now, and I want to read out, and perhaps we could shut that door too. Thanks, darling. Um, I just want to read out of Revelations. This is amazing, the scripture. Re Revelations 5, verse 8 to 10. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Oh, this makes me cry every time. This is our Jesus, the Lamb of God. The one we serve, the great unifier, yeah. the one who makes everything level, makes us all equal before him. Remember, we're going to lose these, these life right. suits, these, these, these <laughs> earth suits. Earth suits. <laughs> we're going to lose them. Yeah. And it says, they all fell down, the elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. If you want to know what God does with our prayers... They're cherished in heaven, guys. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book mm. and to break its seal, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men with every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. I love that end of the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, which tells us what's going to happen. It talks about both our corporate identity, because it's saying we're part of, part of a kingdom, we're part of a kingdom community, but not only that, it talks about our individual identity, 
as worshippers, we are each priests before God. We've been made into a kingdom of priests. Isn't that beautiful? It shows in these scriptures that he puts the highest value on all of us. We're united in him, guys. The church should be leading the way. It should be the voice of sanity, the voice of truth, the voice of peacemaking, the voice of clarity. If we believe in the anointing, then we need to believe that we're anointed to be there. If we believe the way to understand the truth, then we need to be able to break truth down into these areas of our lives. Yeah. So let's grab our bread. Yeah. Thanks, babe. Mm -hmm. Grab some bread. Grab your juice. And um, Carvin, I want to get you to pray. I'll hand you the microphone and then we'll get it back to Abby to sing. But why don't you pray? You, you, you just do the communion prayer. In the water, yeah? Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That you are the example you took upon all of our sin. And you died for us in our place, Lord. You took our place. So every person that is felt Isolated, felt marginalized, felt brokenhearted, felt embarrassed, felt, you know, in any way, even when it comes to racism, Lord, the very thing that we're fighting now, every family, every person that has been affected by this, every family that has been broken by this, every family that has lost, lost loved ones, because of this, Lord, I just pray that you will intervene, that they will feel your spirit, that they will look to you, not look to policies and legislation and all of the things that need to take place, needs to take place, but policies and legislation don't destroy the spirit of racism and the spirit of hatred. Only you do because you came. And while we were yet sinners, while we were in our trespasses, you showed the greatest love that all of us could ever experience and that you took our place and died the death that we should have died. I thank you, Jesus, because you are the example of what love looks like. You are the example of what fearlessness looks like. You're the example of what courage and boldness looks like. You're the example, even in that political time, even during the uprising of the Roman Empire and all of these things and, you know, the, the, the disciples wanting uh, and, and even the Jewish people wanting the kingdom of Israel to be established. You came for something far bigger and that was to establish the kingdom of heaven. And that is the same now, Lord. So I pray for every person that feels lost and feels lost in these times, Lord, that you will make yourself very present, that you will make yourself and deal with the hearts of those that hate festers in and bubbles in, Lord, and that you will just draw them to repentance, draw us all to repentance. It is your kindness. It is your love that does it. It's not evil for evil. It is not trying to get justice out of our own physical and out of our own abilities is actually coming to you and asking you to move on the behalf of the kingdom and you have your way Lord I pray Father that you show us how to have wisdom that you show us how to live that you show us how to love Lord even in these dark times because it will be love that will draw your people to you and we lift you up Jesus every person Lord every person even right now those that are shedding tears those that are crying those that are in their homes not knowing what life will look like those that feel like there there's no more hope those that feel hopeless Lord I pray for them now Lord, that you will send your people 
that you will send a word that you will strengthen them if anything else Lord it is communion that we can look to because you gave your body and you gave your blood for a promise that can never be taken away from us so those that don't know you Father I pray that you will turn their hearts that they will allow you in and allow the church Lord I pray that the church will just rise and be the voice that is needed in these dark times to show your love and your kindness that those who are in authority those that walk in authority will come and fall under humility and under your grace and repent and see change happen in America and in every other part of the world Lord, because the church is the church of the world people will know you have been sent thank you God for this time and thank you Lord that even as this church even as we talk about the real issues more we will see the church become stronger in our approach to the world understanding that it is the truth of the word of God that we lift above all things and that because of your truth we will experience your freedom as we partake Lord I pray blessing in Jesus name Amen